Hey there, this is Sean McMahon. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast and thanks for supporting the ministry by lending your ears, your minds, hearts, all that good stuff. Don't be afraid to share this here message with a friend or a family member, even a stranger. Have at. It's not like it's going to bite. These messages are recorded live at the Community Baptist Church of Gayhead and Aquinnah on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and the good old U.S. of A. If you're ever in town for a visit or suddenly find yourself shipwrecked on the southwest side of our lovely little island, climb up the clay cliffs and come on down to our little old chapel for our weekly 10 a.m. service. No need to wear anything special, just bring your special self. May God bless you. from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 41 through 55. I will read the body of it, and you can join me in Mary's praise to the Lord. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord's word to her will be fulfilled. Then Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful, as he promised to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Thanks be to God. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. Raise your hand if you're a mama. God bless you. God bless you, mamas. Very special. Very happy to be celebrating this special day. And in order to do so, I want to talk a little bit about Mary. And a friend of mine, by the way, pointed out to me that I missed a golden opportunity to call the sermon something about Mary. You know, the classic (laughs) movie. Excuse me. but So, fourth commandment. Do you remember what it is, everybody? Honor thy mother and father that their days may be long on this earth. Amen. Honor, honor thy mother and father. Today we're just going to focus on half of that. Mothers. And God has given us the gift of mothers and the gift of motherhood. And we're going to see what the Bible teaches us about how to honor mothers and how to honor motherhood. And we're going to learn from the best of the best. We're going to learn how Jesus honored his mother, Mary. Now, from the beginning... In the book of Genesis, mothers are given honor right from the beginning, even before that woman is a mother. 
motherhood in womanhood. God gives Adam the authority to name everything in creation. And with that power, Adam calls his wife Chava, which means mother of all the living. So to all the mothers in here, just imagine for a second how many descendants might come through you, children and grandchildren and beyond, generation after generation. Did you know that the, the eggs of every fertile woman are grown while still in utero? Okay, that means that every woman who's pregnant with a daughter has in her own womb, not just her daughter, but her grandchildren too, her future grandchildren. And this is just one of several everyday miracles that God surprises us with in the way he made things. And that, that makes each mother a chava, a mother of all the living. How many generations might be in you, right? So we know that the story of Eden ends with the fall. And through Adam and Eve's disobedience, sin enters the world. And because of sin, it says, all in, all in Adam die, according to St. Paul. Everyone in Adam dies. But St. Paul also makes a point to say that Jesus came to be our new Adam. He says the first Adam was a living being, but the last Adam, Jesus, is a life-giving spirit. He says that in 1 Corinthians 15, 45. So the Bible says there's a new Adam, and it's Jesus. What does it have to say about the new Eve? Is there a new Eve? Does the Bible say anything about new Eve? Yes, it does. Let's look into it. St. Paul writes in Galatians 4 that the story of Sarah and Hagar in Genesis is a foreshadowing of the story of the old covenant of Moses against the new covenant of Jesus. It's a symbol. The old covenant gives us a physical nation of Israel and a physical capital in Jerusalem. The new covenant gives us a spiritual nation of Israel and a, and a spiritual Jerusalem. And St. Paul says, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to this physical Jerusalem because she's in slavery with her children. But as for Sarah, she's a symbol of Mount Zion and the heavenly Jerusalem. And he says, that Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. She's our mother. It's interesting that he says the spiritual Jerusalem is our mother because we've talked about this before. Elsewhere, St. John, the apostle, sees what Paul's talking about in his vision. In Revelation 12, he says, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed in the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and crying out in pain and agony of giving birth. And she gave birth to a son a boy who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Remember that image? So John is seeing the same thing that St. Paul just talked about, a spiritual mother in heaven giving birth. Paul says she's our mother. John, on the other hand, sees her giving birth to just one boy who will rule the nations. Who is that? Jesus. That's Jesus. So how can the same image, how can the same mother give birth to Jesus and the church? Well, you know what the church is. The church is the body of Christ, the body of Jesus Christ. So Paul is talking about the spiritual reality of the church, the body of Christ. John is seeing a heavenly vision. He's seeing the symbol 
of the church. He's seen the boy, Jesus. But let's look at this whole symbol. Let's take it all as a whole. John is seeing the birth of Jesus as a symbol of the birth of the church, right? If Jesus is the boy who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter in this image, in this symbol, who does that make the pregnant woman? Who is Jesus' mama? Mary. Mary. Mary is giving birth to Jesus. This is what he's seeing. He's, see, he's seeing a symbol of the birth of the church, but he's seeing Mary in heaven giving birth to Jesus in heaven. It's a symbol of the heavenly Jerusalem giving birth to the church. This is one of the reasons why from the earliest days, Mary is called the mother of the church. I don't think you hear many Baptist preachers say those words, Mary is the mother of the church. But we're gonna learn what that really means. We're gonna learn what that really means. And it's gonna help us plumb the depths of the mystery of motherhood and God's gift of mothers to the world so that we can show our mothers the love and honor that Jesus gave his mother and the place he gave her in the kingdom and in creation. Because ladies, if you understand how Mary is not just mother of the church, but also the new Eve, right? The new Chava, the mother of all the living, then you can also understand more what it means to be a woman in Christ, what, what it means to be in the new creation and what God intends for you. And let's remember something interesting here. Just as the first Eve came out of the first Adam, right? God pulled Eve out of Adam. The last Adam, Jesus, comes out of the last Eve. Mary, the new Eve, he comes out of her. That makes Jesus the first and the last, right? He says, I'm the first and the last. I'm the, I'm the first Adam, the new Adam. So, Christ's human life comes out of Mary. And John says in the beginning of his gospel that we have seen his glory, but it's Mary's womb that gives his glory flesh, right? Until the word became flesh, no one had ever seen God. That's what the Bible says. He was hidden in a cloud. Look in the Bible. He's always hidden in a cloud, in a cloud of glory. And, and throughout, throughout the times of Moses and on, God is hidden in a cloud that accompanies the ark of the old covenant, wherever it goes. The glory cloud of the Lord, right? They call that the Shekinah presence of God. It used to descend on the old ark in the Holy of Holies and overshadow it. Until one day it fled. The glory of God fled. When the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, Ezekiel chapter 10, 18 through 19 records this. Later, the prophet Jeremiah, in response to this, he wants to protect the ark. So he hides it in a cave and he declares that you're never going to see this ark again until the glory of the Lord and the cloud appears again. So I ask you, does anyone know when it appeared again? This is a fascinating thing in scripture. It comes back in Luke chapter 1, 35. The angel tells Mary she will conceive miraculously by that Holy Spirit. And, and the Shekinah presence, right? The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Overshadow you. That language is only used for the Ark of the Covenant. Because what does the Ark hold? 
It holds the word of God. Mary's womb hold, holds the word of God made flesh. That scripture saying, Mary is kind of the Ark of the New Covenant, right? And listen to this next line. The Holy One will be born and he will be called the Son of God. So we know, we already know that Mary gave birth to the Son of God. We talk about it every Christmas. But sometimes we forget what scripture also tells us that the Son of God came so that the Father would adopt us all to also be children of God with him, right? Me and the brothers that you've given me. Uh, Paul says it, Jesus said that in scripture. I and the brethren that you have given me. John the Revelator wants us to remember this. And at the end of Revelation, at the end of Revelation 12, he says, the dragon becomes enraged with this heavenly woman that we've ident identified as Mary, right? Mary and Jerusalem. And he says, the dragon goes to make war with the rest of her children, the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Who are the rest of the children? We are. We are. We are. The ones who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's the church, right? Scripture is telling us really plainly here that Mary is the new Eve. She's the new mother of all the living children of God. This new creation that God is making in Christ. How can Mary be the new Eve? How can she be the mother of the church? Is this in the Bible, right? Yes, it is. Look at the crucifixion. In John, Jesus calls out to his mother and makes her look at John. And he says, behold your son. And he says to John, behold your mother, right? And, and this wasn't just a special relationship with John only. We never see John only taking care of Mary later, right? We think that because John is the beloved disciple, that, that this was some special thing. But all disciples of Christ are beloved, correct? You know? Um, this applies to everybody. More than this, if you think about it, all of the other apostles had completely abandoned Jesus at this point. There was only one there. So if you're going to send a message to all the apostles, you only got one guy who's going to send that message. John was the apostle's representative at Calvary. So this charge that Jesus is giving John, this is your mother. It applies to all the apostles through him and it, it applies to us through them in a way. This is Jesus's word of authority to the church from the cross that applies to the church. And think about this, like I said, you don't just see Mary going around accompanied by John only, as if this is an exclusive relationship. From that moment on, wherever the apostles gather, Mary is there, look in Acts. Whenever they're together in a home, Mary's there with them. You don't hear about this too much because they're traveling so much in Acts, but when they're together, she's there. And this is not just an arrangement for her care. This is what we're gonna learn today. Mary lost Jesus, her son, but she had plenty of other relatives who could look after her, right? The Bible tells us that Jesus had brethren. We don't really know if it was siblings or cousins, but she had family. They could have taken care of her. She had plenty of options. That's not why Jesus said, behold your mother. Why did he say this? What did he mean by behold your mother? This is John's gospel. John tells us in his revelation, he gives us more clues 
when he uses Mary as the symbol for the heavenly Jerusalem, right, the mother of the church, he describes Mary in this way, clothed in the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. A crown. A crown. Crown of a queen mother. Go with me for a second. Has it ever occurred to anyone that Mary, the mother of the king, might hold royal office? Is this freaking anyone out yet? Promise, promise I'm not about to ask anyone to, to like do any like weird Catholic stuff. Let's, let's follow this down the rabbit hole. In Revelation, where she's wearing a crown, right? Does she wear a crown anywhere else in the Bible? Is she ever wearing a crown? No, no of course not. But did Jesus? No. No. Other than a crown of thorns. Other than a crown of thorns, exactly. This is a vision in heaven, right? Have we ever worn crowns? No, but we're all promised crowns in heaven, right? And, and the Bible says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places already. He's got a throne. That's what we're promised, okay? This is, this is heavenly vision stuff. Mary's crown is special, and I'll say why. It has 12 stars in it, and that is to symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? So in this vision, John is saying, this is the queen of Israel. And go with me for a second, because it sounds gross, right? Ew, Jesus is the king of Israel. He's not married to his mother. That's not cool, Pastor Sean. That's disgusting. But that's not what I'm saying. That's obviously not what I'm saying. Maybe in some countries... The queen is the king's wife, but in Israel, that's not the case. That was never the case. In Israel, in the kingdom of Israel, the queen was the king's mother. So I challenge you, reread 1st and 2nd Kings, okay? Every time a new reigning king is introduced, we're not told the name of his wife. We're told the name of his mother right alongside of him, right? And another example, King David, right? Married to Bathsheba, but in 1st Kings... She bows to him. She's not the queen, and they are not equals. But when David dies, their son Solomon becomes king, and Solomon bows to Bathsheba. That's in 1 Kings chapter 2. He bows to Bathsheba, and watch what happens next. It says, 1 Kings chapter 2, 19. Then Solomon sat upon his throne, and a throne was provided for the king's mother who sat at his right hand, okay? Okay, it's making a little more sense. The queen sits at the king's right hand on her own special throne in the kingdom of Israel. In Hebrew, this woman is called the Gebirah, right? There's a metal band called Gebira that tries to use that name. It's pronounced Gebirah. Some say that that word is translated queen mother, but what it really just means is a great woman. Like lady, our lady. That's where that title comes from. It's, it's an honorific title, the lady. Ladies and lords, right? We call Jesus Lord Jesus, right? But that's, that's, that's an old, that's an old uh, word, like the gentry, right? Lords and ladies. So in Israel, there's two thrones. There's the throne of the king, but there's also the throne of the king's mother. The Gebirah. And if Jesus is king of Israel, then what does that make his mother, Mary? Queen of Israel. Queen of Israel. Now, do you think she wondered about this? Do you think she knew about this? Do you think she wondered, 
If my son is the king, what does that make me? Yes, of course she did. And she did know the answer and the Bible records it. So after Gabriel tells her she's gonna give birth to the king of Israel, she sings a song and we all recited the, the lyrics to the Magnificat, right? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. But listen to this really carefully. He has looked on favor, he's looked with favor on the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Who's the humble servant she's talking about? Herself. Now listen carefully to what she sings at the end. God has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but he has exalted the humble. Who is she talking about? Herself. Herself and her son. Because she's talking about two thrones. So first chapter of Luke, clear as day. Mary is saying that God has cast down the rulers from the throne, specifically King Herod and King Herod's mother. And he's exalted Mary and her son to their thrones. Henceforth, all generations will call her blessed. Mary is a queen. So is my mother, right? So is your mother. So is every mother in this room. Don't you forget it. You treat your mama like a queen, okay? If you're a mother, you're a queen. This is God's blueprint for the kingdom of the family. Now, the burning question, did Jesus treat his mother like a queen? Because we've just figured out, scripture says she's a queen, she's got a claim to this, to this throne, whatever it is. You read the Bible, it actually doesn't look like it, does it? Because this, this Jesus, this is the guy who said, anyone who comes to me and does not hate his mother and his father can't be my disciple, right? Luke 14, 26. You heard that before? If you don't hate your father and your mother, you can't be my disciple. Now, a little bit about me. I used to be what we call a Christian anarchist when I was in my early 20s. And I dabbled in a little bit of anarcho-communism. And I subscribed to a central belief of that for a time. And I believed that you had to decenter the nuclear family in order to live out the gospel. And I cited that scripture, Luke 14, 26, as proof, okay? Jesus said that. So that probably doesn't sound like he loves his mama that much. And on top of that, does anybody remember what Jesus called his mother? Woman! 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 <laughs> she asked him to help him, to help out the wedding at Cana. They said, they're out of wine. Jesus, work one of your miracles. But Jesus hadn't done any public miracles yet. And he says, woman, what is that to you or me? My time hasn't come yet. Woman. Well, did he really call her that? Did he really call her woman? Yeah. Or did he call her what Solomon called his mother? Gebirah. Lady. My lady. My lady. What does that matter to you or me? My time hasn't come yet. It's a big difference, right? Woman! My lady. Honor, love, and respect. That's a much nicer title. My lady. I don't think I've ever said those words to my mother. I should. Watch what happens next. Here's the pudding, where the proof is. <laughs> Mary commands the servants to do whatever her son tells them to do, and Jesus does what she asked him to do. Right? He obeyed her even though he said it is 
before the time. I shouldn't be doing this, but my mama told me to. I'm going to obey her. He fulfilled the fourth commandment, right? So this is in the Gospel of John. Listen to all those examples from John we just talked about. Have you noticed the pattern with John? He's trying to tell us something about Mary. He's trying to tell us something about Mary. And he's trying to tell us something about motherhood too. Okay, he's leaving no room for misinterpretation. Jesus is not about decentering the nuclear family, right? He's a fourth commandment man. He loves, he honors, he obeys his mother as much as he obeys his father in heaven. Wow. The word made flesh, thinking nothing of equivalence with God, right? With his father, he's equally obedient to his mother. To the woman who gave him flesh. So how much more so should we love our mothers? Right? And respect them and obey them. And mothers, don't be afraid to remind your children of this. If you need to. So far be it from decentering the nuclear family, Christ exalts it. Right? Christ's saving work, it doesn't just save us from the fall of the first Adam and the first Eve. It also restores the original plan that God had for them too. It lifts the, the, the curse and returns us to this be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion paradigm, right? Our originally intended nature is to do this through the family, right? Be fruitful, multiply, have dominion. In Christ, men are restored to life, right? Adam was a life, a living being, and then in Christ, Christ is a, is a life-giving spirit, right? And all women are restored to the motherhood of all the living, this Chava, restored to this original mission for Adam and Eve. And more than this, thanks to the new Eve, the mother of the Son of God, thanks to her, we receive life from the new Adam that she gave birth to, right? The life-giving spirit. We're all conforming to the image of the new creation that God has wrought in revealing Christ. And God was fully satisfied to completely re reveal himself in the son of Mary. Think about it that way. He was pleased to clothe his son in the flesh of Mary. Jesus is equally an image of his mother as he is of his heavenly father, just as we are all images of our own mothers and fathers. And certainly all women are in the image of this new Eve, just as all men are in the image of the new Adam, right? So ladies, that's a mighty and high calling. And by ladies, I mean Gibby Ross, great women. Ladies, my ladies. And whether you are mothers to earthly children or not, ladies, you are called to be mothers after the image of the motherhood of Mary. Just like men are called to be fathers, like Christ is the image of his father, okay? Jesus said, anyone who is childless for Christ's sake will receive a hundred times as much in the kingdom of God, even children. And this is how it plays out. That crown that, that John saw Mary wearing, that's your crown too. And if you claim your dominion in the kingdom of God, you're going to take responsibility for the love and care of the children of God. So whether you have your own children or you don't, you're called to live and love in this special motherly manner. Right? So Mother's Day, to all the mothers out there, we love you. 
We celebrate you today and we honor you and, and we respect you. So not all Christian men can or will imitate Jesus in being called to celibacy, right? But neither can or will all women imitate Mary in motherhood, right? Just as the crown of martyrdom and the life of celibacy are special callings from God, so is marriage and motherhood, okay? So today we honor mothers who have this special calling that not everyone does. And you have this promise. By the way, this is a whole other story, but Timothy, 1 Timothy says, Mothers, you will be saved in childbearing if you continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Saved in childbearing. That's a whole other scripture that deserves another sermon. But I wanted to share that with you if it resonates with you. That is an amazing statement. Saved by childbearing. Only you guys can tell me what that means. Mothers, you offer your body completely to the life of your child in your womb. It's inconceivable. The moment your child is conceived, your body is no longer your own. It becomes the home for a fragile, innocent, beautiful, miraculous human life with infinite potential nestled safely in your womb. God has entrusted you not just with your own destiny, but with the destiny of this child. That's his child. He has a destiny for it, and he's entrusted that to you, to your care. You risk your life in carrying that child to term and in the pains of labor. <clears throat> and these are risks and pains that even the most loving and giving husband will never be able to take on for you, as I'm sure all the mothers know who went through this. God has given you mothers such an awesome responsibility in all of this. And if you've had children, you know that God is the one whose hand is on your pregnancy, is on the safe delivery of that child. And you know that childbearing is not just an awesome responsibility, but an incredible blessing, and a miraculous one at that. And not just childbearing, but the life of motherhood. Mamas, you humble yourself every day, and you put your child's needs first, and in all these things, you are beautiful, living image of Christ's sacrificial love. And you show us the meaning of the name, the mother of all the living. And just like Mary is a symbol of motherhood itself, so are you, mamas. And you are a gift from God and you deserve all the love and support you could ever need and more from your family, from your loved ones. You deserve breakfast in bed. You deserve a, a post-church brunch. You deserve dinner and roses and chocolate and a bit of champagne or maybe a splash of tequila if that's what you need. You deserve a bubble bath. Pastor Sean is by <laughs> You deserve a bubble bath and a little R&R &R from your motherly labors, you know, carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. And I just want to say to all the mamas, we love you. And all of the, the women who are entrusted with this vocation to motherhood in the church, we love you. And thank you for being mamas. Amen, Amen to that. Thank you for listening to the Sean McMahon Podcast. Visit SeanSellickMcMahon.com for more information about his ministry. For more about Sean's music, please visit WorkmanSong.com. <laughs>